Let's pray. Father, we missed the mark so many times in, in trying to, to make ourselves right with you. And we missed the mark so many times in not caring and just wanting to do our own thing. In this moment, I thank you, Lord, for the grace that you extend to us, the way you pursue us, the way you desire to draw us to you and to become part of your family, adopted as children by the grace and goodness and by the faithfulness of Jesus. I pray that we would be filled with you today, that you would remove the the appearances of our lives and fill us with the reality of the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Glorify Jesus in this moment. Prepare our hearts to hear from you and to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated for tonight's scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 2, 16 to 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worshiping of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight we're talking about how Christ separates appearance from reality. What is reality? It's definitely not reality TV. I looked it up and this week and it is defined as this. Reality is the world or the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to an idealistic or notional idea of them. You could use it in a sentence as, he is refusing to face reality. He's refusing to understand things the way they truly are. It's also defined as the state or quality of having existence or substance. We live in a world where discovering reality is a challenge. There's deception all around us. There's false advertising Everywhere we look, we're presented with something that is trying to change the way we view or think. 
on certain things. For example, Times Square is filled with images of models selling us a product that will change our lives and bring joy into our life. The subway is filled with advertisements. We pay to get on a train to go somewhere, and for that payment we receive more advertisements for our hearts. We pay to watch TV, and guess what? We get free commercials thrown in to help us understand what people want us to understand. And the Internet is filled with advertisements. Advertisements rarely live up to their billing. I think a lot of you would agree with me, as Pastor Larry mentioned earlier, that there have been times when we have responded to something and gone and done an experience or eaten at a restaurant and been sorely disappointed when what we thought was going to be delivered to us was not actually delivered to us. To help you better understand that, I have some visuals to uh, make the point more clearly. For example, McDonald's. Maybe you've seen a McDonald's ad, and you've seen uh, the following ad here. Yep, here we go. McDonald's, they advertise the Angus Deluxe Third Pound Burger. Now, the advertisements on the left... What you actually receive is on the right. Now, this is the most attractive angle of that example, and it's slightly fluffed up. It doesn't look the same, does it? But I don't want to pick on McDonald's, so let's go to Taco Bell, like Larry mentioned earlier. Taco Bell has an announcement as well. This is their crunchy taco. On the left is the advertised model, on the right is the actual taco. I I think I would feel disgusted after that as well. Now let's turn to Burger King. The Whopper Jr. Now look at that advertisement on the left. The actual burger on the right looks like those old men on the Muppets that made fun of the shows. They look like they could do that, right? That That is terrible. So we, we see appearance not matching up with reality in the world of advertising, but it's not just the advertisers that do it. I submit that it's also you and me. For example, Facebook. How many times does the picture that we're putting on Facebook line up to the reality of what we're truly going through? If you're like me, you pick the most flattering pictures unless you're making a joke on purpose because you want your appearance to be a certain standard. For example, this is the, a picture that my wife and I put of us on our Facebook page. Now look at the happy couple. I'm smiling. I actually like the way my, my, my hair looks in that one, which is rare in these, these days. Uh, my wife was very pleased with her picture too, so we, we put that on Facebook. Now, what you might not know is the real us. This is a happy couple. But what about who we really are? Do we ever allow that to be seen? Does the real us line up with this picture? I want to give you a glimpse of who we really are to help you understand more of my wife and me. Right here. We're actually pirates. But we don't tell people this often because we're unsure as to how they will react. But that's who we really are. Not really. But that is from uh, 
from Halloween a, a, a last year. How many times do we really let the real person be seen? Maybe we're not comfortable allowing the real person to be seen because we've got things flipped around the wrong way. See, advertising presents this remarkable product and then delivers, eh. It gives us this beautiful picture of this Whopper Jr., and then it gives us an old Muppet. But the gospel is different. Too many times right here in this church, we, those of us who are believing in Christ, we think the gospel is like the real product that we get when it's really like the advertisement. It's better, remarkably better than we think it is. And instead of living in the reality of a risen Savior, in a new life that He has given to us, we find ourselves muddled and caught in the cords of sin, in despair, in temptation, and we think there's no hope for me. And it's because we are living in a false reality. We're living in an appearance. And what we need is we need Christ to enter into history, enter enter, into, enter into our lives and change our lives so that we live in His reality. Look with me in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Paul is writing here. This is where we pick up as we continue through this letter. Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These, these things that he just mentioned, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So far in this letter, he's exposed that Christ is the ultimate. He is the one on whom everything hinges. And if you're not focused on him, then you don't have the gospel. You have a false religion. So he's saying, focus on that. So he's saying, therefore, since Christ is the key, don't let people pass judgment on you in these regards. And in the second verse there, he says, because Christ is the substance. The NIV version translates that reality. He is the reality. It's also the body. That He is the, the body, the substance. He's the reality. He is what we physically hold on to. He's the truth. Christ is the determining factor of our faith. The things that he mentions here are Jewish observances. And he points them out because he doesn't want these new believers who came from a non-Jewish background to leave their former life, which was Christless, of paganism, to leave that and exchange it for a religious life, which is also Christless. He's fearful that they'll leave one life of self-indulgence of the flesh where they're doing whatever feels right, and then they'll leave and they'll jump over to the other side of Christ and they'll live a life of spiritual indulgence where they're doing good things and they're living a moral life, but they're missing Christ. Many times as a, a new believer comes to faith, maybe they have been scarred by their past choices or scarred by the choices of others. And they enter into this new walk with Christ and they're quick to hold on to a new kind of life. So they start doing 
the progressions or, or going through the motions of becoming a Christian. They, they read their Bible, they pray, they go to church, they do these things, and they start to make changes in their life. Little by little, those things can start to steal away our devotion and our love for Christ. And we start to go through the motions and we think better of ourselves because of what we are doing. Oftentimes those things look like the Jewish observances where they say, don't do this and do this. Don't drink this, but drink this. And we get away from the power of God's gospel, which is grace. There's comfort we receive because we have learned how to live a quote-unquote holy life. And it feels good to have a checklist and to check those things off. I did what I was supposed to do. But as we check off those checklists, are we progressing further in our relationship with God? Let's keep going in this scripture. Chapter 2, verse 18, we'll pick up there. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, that's self-abasement or false humility, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. Now, that is a reference to Christ, who is the head of the body. Holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom, from Christ, the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So Paul was letting them know that some people, they're puffed up by their visions and experiences. They're, they're expressing how great God has given them a vision and the experiences they've had. And he said, if you let them, they're going to make you feel excluded from the family of God because you've not had those same experiences. His instruction for us is the same as for them. Hold tightly to Christ. He is the head. He is the one through whom we are nourished. You are nourished from Him. Christ is the one who knits us together as a family and joins us as one. And it's only through Him, this is important, it's only through Christ that we will grow with a growth that is from God. Now we can go through the list of things to do and we can grow in our appearance of righteousness and our appearance of holiness. But to have godly growth, it must be through Christ. We may go through the, the checklist of things to do and appear to be holy, but we may just be growing with a growth that is not of God but that is of our flesh. And that will lead to us disappointing ourselves and disappointing others, and it will lead to a joyless life and a powerless life, as we'll see in a couple of verses. Anything other than Christ is promoting something other than God. So there's two things I want us to take away in regards to how Christ separates appearance from reality. The first one is this. Christ died to the old world. He died to the old world. So when Jesus was on the cross, 
he made a public display of the rulers and authorities of the world. So the Romans, they, they took Christ and they crucified him. And above him, they put a sign. And that sign said, King of the Jews. They did that to mock him. They were making a public spectacle of him. They were shaming him. Look at this. The king of the Jews. Ha! We've crucified him. Anyone who saw that sign would come to the conclusion that the rulers of the day, the authorities of the day, had stripped him naked and exposed him as a fraud. And they celebrated a very public, humiliating victory over Jesus. But Paul loves pointing out something that we should be quick to accept and consider. Paul said actually what was happening on the cross was God was stripping them of their power. It was the rulers and the authorities of the earth who were exposed as powerless. It was them who were shown powerless. He was actually holding them up in that moment in shame and showing public contempt on them because God was celebrating His victory over the principalities and the powers who thought it was the other way around. At the cross, God's weakness proved stronger than humans' strength. Last week we covered the preceding verses to this, and I want to expose one of those, chapter 2, verse 15, which is where this comes from. It says, He, Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities, and He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So you see, He put the powers that be to shame that day because Jesus took all they had to give. He took the worst possible penalty. And then three days later, he came back to life, and they were embarrassed. So Jesus died to that old world. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. So since Jesus died to the old world, it says here that if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, so Christ died, so if you with him died, why as If you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. So why would you do this? So since Jesus shamed the old world that tried its best to kill him, why would you submit yourselves again to those perishable regulations? Why would you submit yourself back underneath a system that was leading to death when you've actually died already to that system. There's a new reality for you that exists because of the death and resurrection of Christ. So I ask the question, why? Why would you submit yourself back under that? Can I answer for you and risk being wrong? I think we do it because it feels good. We're comfortable with that. We can measure it. The gospel of grace 
is hard to believe. I feel like I should be doing something to earn it. I feel like I should be doing something to show that I'm worthy of God dying for me. But that is not the gospel. That's the appearance of wisdom. That's the appearance of holiness. Which leads us to verse 23 right here. He says, These things that you would submit yourself back under have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So that word appearance there says that it has the appearance of wisdom when we do these things. And the reason it, it appears, or it has that appearance to us and it appeals to us is because it appeals to our desires. We want to do these things. We want to show God. We want to prove ourselves. We don't want people to help us. We want to give back. And, and some of these things could be good motives gone awry. We feel better about ourselves when we do something to prove our value. But see, Christ died to that old world. That's the first point. The second one is this. Christ is raised to the new world. Number one, He died to the old world. And number two, He is raised to a new world. So our calling as those who follow Christ is to believe something which is extremely difficult to believe. Are you ready? What's difficult to believe for us is that we belong to Christ. That we are His. What's difficult to believe is that we already belong to this new world that He has created. This new reality. And Paul wants Christians then, and he wants us now, to realize what was already true of them, and not just what will one day be true of them. We're closely united with Christ through faith. We are united with Him. And what is true of Him is also, at measure, true for us. It may not feel like it always. But the Christian walk is believing what at times we don't feel. We don't feel it to be true. But if God's Word says it's true, then by faith we must believe. Appearance versus reality. We have to look at the first four verses of this next chapter to conclude this part of the message. So I want you to look with me at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The new reality is this. If then you have been raised with Christ. Notice it doesn't say, if then one day you will be raised with Christ. It says now, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. I want to pause just for a moment. Heaven is not up and out there somewhere. It's a different dimension, a different reality. So above just means not settling for the things of the world, but realizing that there is something greater that God has offered us. 
Set your mind on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you, like Christ, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So what's true of Christ is this. He died, and He was raised from the dead. That's what's true about Him. So, because of that, you do not belong, in Christ, you do not belong to the old world anymore. The regulations that are relevant then are no longer relevant for you. You were raised with Jesus, so you possess true life in God's new world, the upper world, the heavenly realm. That's where the real you exists. Christians die to the old world of death, and its sting has been taken away. One of the best illustrations I could think of is in the movie The Matrix. It's from 1999, so if this is a spoiler alert for you, shame on you. It's 16 years ago. So Neo, he's the main character. And this movie is about an alternate reality that exists. There's real life to be lived, and then there's this matrix, this false world that most people are living to because they're blind. Inside the false world of the matrix, there are rules that are accepted and lived by, but Neo challenges those rules as he discovers that they are merely an illusion. His mission, although he's reluctant to accept it, is to expose the false system and bring freedom to mankind. There are a lot of similarities to Christ in this story. At the end of the first movie, which is a trilogy, Neo is shot by one of the agents, the enemy, while he's inside the Matrix, the false world. He's shot several times in his chest at point-blank range. Even though it's a false reality, his brain still thinks it's real at this moment. And so his brain accepts the judgment from those shots, and his body, which is in the real world, but he's plugged into the matrix, his body dies. It's over. It stops working. Miraculously, he comes back to life. His love, Trinity, see another similarity to the Bible? She expresses her love for him and says, no, you can't die because I love you. And her words bring him back to life in a powerful resurrection scene. So he wakes back up in the matrix. And the agents, the enemy, there's three of them, they're bewildered by his return. So they raise their guns, and they just unleash a massive amount of bullets at him. They shoot. And in an extremely powerful moment, he just lifts his head up, looks at the bullets coming at him in slow motion, and says, no. And they stop. I remember seeing that the first time. I was like, whoa, that is amazing. They just stopped right in front of him. And he looks and he picks one of the bullets and he observes it. And he just looks with his eyes and just 
does that, and they all fall to the ground harmlessly. And he throws it down. At that moment, he realized that he was living in a different reality. And those old rules didn't apply to him. He was awakened to what appeared to be a reality into the true reality that he was not under their power. He realized that he had died to that false world and he had been raised in a new world. That's somewhat a picture of our new life in Christ. We don't answer to the ways of old. Our new life with Christ is not to seek the appearance of godliness, but our new life is to submit to Christ. Not to submit to rules that might lead us to Him, but our life is to accept the new reality that we are submitting to the risen Christ who has given us a new reality. This means that everything we do is to be done as a person who is living in the new reality of a risen Jesus. As He is, so are we. He has brought us into a reality that is greater than the one He has rescued us from. We've died to the old life and we are alive with Him in the new life. There are new rules for us to follow. The simplest way for us to live out our new life is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul is talking about uh, some controversial things in their life, and he comes to a conclusion, and he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's not about following a list of rules, but it's about everything we're doing coming under the rule or the reign, the authority of Christ. When we come to faith in Christ, we are awakened to a new reality. We're awakened to this reality by God's grace. And now we are commissioned by Him, somewhat like Neo, to go out and to bring freedom to the captives. We are commissioned by God to go out and make the name of Jesus and His new reality known to us, known to others. All that we do is not to be done in order to prove ourselves. We're not to worry ourselves by following a list of rules in order to be a Christian. We're not to feel inferior to others because we don't measure up to their measure of righteousness and their visions and their protocol that they judge people by. But the reality that we live under as those in Christ is that everything we do in our new life is to be done to the glory of God. In Christ. We have already been proven righteous. Last week we learned we don't have anything to prove except Christ. That is our proof. In Christ we forsake the old rules and we submit not to a licentious life of doing whatever feels good. That's what culture says. That's not what Christ says. But we submit not to a list of rules, but we submit to the rule or the reign of the authority of Christ. And we trust in His supreme power 
because His supreme power is used to give us supreme grace. And this is my favorite. When we are in Christ, we never have to feel inferior. It's okay if people see the pictures that we don't put on Facebook. Our value is not found in our weaknesses. In fact, God's strength is glorified through our weaknesses. Everything God wants us to do is to be done for the glory of God. Following a list of rules will be a temptation for you and for me as we go forward. Because it feels good. It makes us feel like we're doing our part. But it will not deliver. The ways of the old world will always make us feel duped and always leave us dissatisfied. The reality that we're to live under is that just as Christ has died to the old world and been raised to the new, so have we. When we are trusting Him, actively seeking Him as Lord in every area of our life, then we have also died to Him, or excuse me, died to the old world, to its rules and regulations, and we are raised to live under the reign of our glorious risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So the difference, what separates appearance from reality, is simply Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts to enter into a heavenly reality of communion, I pray that you would open our eyes to the reality of our death to an old world as Christ died to the old world. That you would help us to realize that we do not answer to that old system and its regulations, but show us how we are alive as Christ is risen to this new world, this new reality that is full of freedom and power and life. Lord, teach us to use that freedom you give us for your glory It's easy for us to trade the glories of eternity for the sparkling and temporary pleasures of this passing world. Lord, you've created us for a life filled with joy and delight in you, and we can only find that through faith in Christ. So I ask you, as your child, to draw our rebellious hearts to you, that we would trust you and instead rebel against the false authorities of this world and choose to glorify you instead in all we say and do. Lord, we thank you for showing us the difference between appearance and reality through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. It's in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight we have an opportunity for everyone in here to respond to how God is speaking to you. I don't think anyone would deny that they felt kind of like Neo with the bullets coming at their face at some point in their life, at some point today, that the world was against them, their friends were against them, their enemies were against them. So I want to invite you to respond to the message of God's truth that you have just heard. If you're a skeptic here tonight... I want, you to, I want to invite you into a discussion 
We would, we're skeptics too. We have questions as well. And we would love to talk to you about your questions. I'll be standing here during this next time of response. You can catch any one of us at the back when you leave. We invite you to respond by asking those questions that are on your heart right now. If you're a believer, we have an opportunity to come to the table and respond by communing with God and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we invite all believers, all people who are placing their faith in Christ to come to the table and experience what Christ showed the disciples about this new reality. When on the night before his crucifixion, the king, their king, knelt down before their feet, their stinky, dirty feet, and washed them. He blew their minds. He showed them that the appearance, things, how things seemed to be was, was gone. This new reality is different. And then he spoke these words to them. He said, tonight, things are going to change. My body is going to be broken for you. My blood is going to be poured out for you. And a new covenant begins. And the reality is going to change. The bullets coming at your face are not real. They hurt sometimes, I understand that, but they don't affect your eternal reality. So we invite believers to come and celebrate that tonight. There will be a plate of bread and two cups. You can come down the center aisle and take a piece of bread and the words will be spoken to you. This is Christ's body broken for you. Christ the King. You can take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup of your choice. One is wine and one is juice. And the words will be spoken to you. This is Christ's blood poured out for you as a new covenant. When you hear those words, receive, wake up to the new reality. And tonight, if you were a skeptic, but you are believing that Christ is the king, that this new reality is yours, that you are receiving the words of Christ with faith. Faith. We invite you to stand and come and receive communion for the first time, publicly professing your faith in Christ as your Savior. We also invite you to come and talk to one of us about that, that you've celebrated communion for the first time. We would love to chat with you about that. So tonight, whether you're a skeptic, a believer, or someone who has just changed from those two camps, respond to the word of God. The words that they will be singing poetically describe a scene in which someone steps out onto waves and walks across them. In our reality, that can't happen. People don't walk on water. But the point of the song is that although there are waves and storms all around us, God allows us by the power of Jesus and the gift of his grace to see things differently and to not be affected by the waves. So worship God in that truth tonight. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise tonight for you are worthy. You have proven your love to us by giving the ultimate sacrifice.
We confess to you now that in our self-centeredness, we often try to have the appearance of holiness without centering ourselves on Christ. We confess that we oftentimes are whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but empty and full of death and decay on the inside. So we come confessing our failures, grateful that you do not leave us there, celebrating the new covenant that you have made in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. After the musicians have come and received communion, we invite you to respond as God has called you.